Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good whatever time of day it is. Hopefully it's Monday and you're listening on Main Character Energy Monday, but if not, no worries. We won't hold it against you. Um, But whatever day it is, I hope you're having a wonderful day so far, and if not, hopefully this episode helps to turn that around. Um, I know I feel like I say this every week, but this week's episode's really special and I'm really excited about it. I got the opportunity to sit down with a good friend of mine, Tina Kununua, who is a phenomenal woman. Just let's just start there. She's just amazing. Um, I've known her for a couple years now and she is super busy and she's going currently back and forth between Baltimore and Georgia. So just having the opportunity to sit down with her for about an hour was amazing. During this episode, um, we talk about a lot of really important topics that we actually haven't really discussed on this show yet. And part of the reason that these discussions haven't taken place on this show yet is because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't taking the microphone and speaking on behalf of other people. I wanted to make sure that I found the proper moment and the proper person to introduce this topic on the show. And I really feel like Tina truly is that person. So today on the episode, we are talking about black mental health, um, specifically from the perspective of Tina, who is a woman, so black women's mental health, um, which is so important. And we've seen over the years just how marginalized African-Americans are and how difficult of a topic mental health can be and how there's really a lack of support. There's a lack of diversity and representation in the wellness industry. And this is a huge problem. Um, and we've seen over the past couple years that there have been, you know, strides and a lot of, um, I don't know, I guess improvements being made, but it's it's just not enough. And I wanted to make sure that during not only, you know, Black History Month being in February, but just in general on this show, I want to make sure we are making space and making room for the voices that really need to be heard and that haven't been. Um, And traditionally, Black voices are ones, especially Black women. Those are voices that have been um, somewhat sheltered and quieted and silenced for a long time. So I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk to Tina, have her on the show, and have her share her perspectives as um, a second-generation American. Her parents actually came over from Zimbabwe, and that had a huge impact on, obviously, her upbringing, but just her life in general. Um, And it was a really great opportunity to talk to her about that and get some of her perspective. So um, no trigger warning for this episode. If you're someone that finds the topics we talk about today a little bit uncomfortable, I would challenge you to look inward and figure out if you might be playing into the problem. You might be part of the issue. If what we're talking about today is making you a little uncomfortable, you might have some work you need to do. And I'm sorry if that's going to make some people upset. But in 2022, there's absolutely no excuse for any of the micro or macro aggressions that I know Tina still experiences and that black women and black men in general are still experiencing. So Listen to this episode and decide if you're playing into the problem or if you can change that and be part of the solution. Um, But we are going to do what we have been doing and we are going to take a couple deep breaths together and get centered and grounded before this episode. And then I do just have one resource I want to shout out before we get into the episode. But let's do our breathing first. So we are going to do our full body scan. We'll take a deep breath in through our nose, out through our mouth. And then we're gonna scan our full body all the way from our tip of our head to the tip of our toes. We're just gonna check in with ourselves, make sure that we're not clenching anything. You know, if you're clenching your jaw, loosen it up, take a second, and really just relax your body, ground yourself. 
Take a few moments to just be here with me in this moment and just relax. Take some deep breaths. Awesome. And then before we get into the episode, I did want to shout out a phenomenal resource that I actually just learned about. It is actually another podcast, but the podcast also has a magazine. Um, so it's it's really cool. So it's called um, on Instagram, their page is at the Effervescence Project, and they have the Effervescence Magazine. And this month's issue is on Black Herstory. Um, so I'm not saying that incorrectly. I am saying her story. Um, and it highlights not only the life of Chesley Christ, um, whom, you know, you guys might remember a couple episodes ago, we dedicated um, an episode to Chesley in her passing um, and as a celebration of her life. So they dedicated the issue to Chesley, but there's also a number of other black women and pageant competitors that are highlighted in the magazine um, this month. And I just think it's really amazing. I actually just got an opportunity to flip through the magazine and look at it. It's really well done. Um, and the writing in it is phenomenal. And there are also some great resources in there. So I would highly encourage you guys to follow them on Instagram, check out that magazine. And then on top of that, they, like I said, have a podcast. Um, so on Spotify, it's under the Effervescence Podcast. Um, and I know Tina was on an episode earlier in the month. And I believe some of the other women that are highlighted in the magazine this month were also on the podcast. So definitely go check out the podcast, listen to some of those episodes, and let's keep this conversation going. Like I said before, this might be the first episode of its kind on the show, but it will absolutely not be the last. Um, and who am I to say we're the only show doing this? There are plenty of black creators that have their own podcasts, that are sharing their own stories, that are having other black men and women on to share their stories. And I'm going to continue throughout the week and just throughout this podcast and its lifetime, share some of those amazing resources and free up that space for those creators um, because I'm here to share a platform, not take the microphone. Um, so definitely go check out their page, go listen to the podcast, go check out the magazine. But without further ado, let's get into this episode. If you wanted that to be your intro, it could be. I don't care. No. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm good with that. I'm good on that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I am joined here with Tina Kununua. And we have, I, again, I'm really hoping I pronounced that right. Was that right? Yeah, Kununua. Kununua. Okay. It's such a beautiful last name. So I just want to make sure I'm not annihilating it. Um, but we have a lot to cover today. So we're just going to jump right into it. Um, so you're a second generation African-American. How yes. has that affected your life and your mental health in general? And where did your parents immigrate from? I don't even know if I know that yet. Yeah, so both of my parents are from Zimbabwe, which Ooh. is right above Africa. And uh, my mom specifically, she immigrated when she was 15 years old to America. Wow. 
Yeah, so I am um, first or second generation uh, African American, and I'm the first person in my family to be born in the U.S. Wow, that was probably a pretty big deal. Did you feel like that was a lot of pressure on you then growing up? Um, yes, a little bit. Just kind of when your parents immigrate from another country to the U.S., they always are seeking like the American dream. So you have like a lot of pressure on you to succeed and to be like the superstar of your family. So I kind of had a little bit of that, but because my mom came when she was younger, she kind of already paved the way for that. So it wasn't like too bad. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great segue. Um, cause I was going to ask, you know, we, well, we didn't totally get into it yet, but how has it affected your mental health? And then what do you see as being like one of the biggest struggles a child of an immigrant experiences growing up and just throughout life? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about the struggles first. So one of the biggest struggles I've had, or I think that a lot of second generation or even first generation kids have is trying to like straddle being different like cultures. And so for me, I had to, you know, accept and recognize being like African, as well as being African American or Black American, and then also trying to like, be like, palatable to American culture Mm -hmm. so like always having to straddle and like code switch those three cultures is like the hugest struggle and trying to like sometimes I know kids have to like translate for their parents because their parents don't speak English and they have to like grow up really fast so I think that's the biggest struggle as being like a second generation American Um, whereas like mental health wise I think that a lot of cultures don't um, talk about mental health and it's a little bit different because in America, it's, you know, you can talk about it, something, especially now, people talk about it a lot, take seriously, but in other cultures, they don't really talk about it much. So you're still like trying to, you know, straddle that your two different lives, really, you kind of feel like you're, you're living a double life. Like when you go to school, you're American, but when you're at home, you know, you're African or like wherever your parents are from. Wow. Yeah. I can see how that would cause a little bit of an identity crisis. So then growing up and dealing with that, how were you able to manage like finding your own identity and kind of taking both of those worlds or even all three of those worlds and kind of making them your life and who you are? Yeah, I think I just kind of recognize that's who I am and I appreciate it. That's who I was. I had a little bit of a different, um, not so like black and white um, like upbringing where I wasn't, you know, most, um, I guess most like second generation, like their parents came over when they're in like their twenties or thirties, right before they had them or they, and, you know, but for me, my mom came over when she was 15, she was adopted by a white family. And so half of my family is white and my mom, she has her master's and her PhD. So she's like really into education. And so like for me growing up, I never thought, like had to completely be you know Zimbabwean or African like my mom was also like westernized by the time I was born gotcha yeah I'm sure that helped a little bit and you said both of your parents are from Zimbabwe your mother just came over I guess earlier than your father did yes yes okay gotcha um so then I know it's a little different because you're African-American and you're second generation as opposed to being black American. Mm-hmm. And I know that there is a little bit of a difference there. Um, but in the last you know, several years and even just since the pandemic hit, we've seen the Black Lives Matter movement kind of blow up and become mm-hmm. so huge. And I'm interested to see from your perspective as a second generation African-American, how has the Black Lives movement like kind of 
changed your life as an African-American um, and how has it potentially affected your mental well-being? Yeah, so I do want to say that although I'm second generation American and that's part of my identity, like my parents, you know, being from Zimbabwe, being from Africa, like because I'm a black person in America, I am black. Like at the end of the day, yep. I'm black. You know, someone sees me down the street, like I'm black, mm -hmm. you know, so I definitely have a lot of, you know, I, I understand that. I appreciate that. That's part of also part of my identity being, you know, black in America um, for the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, that was like about two years ago, 2020, um, when that became like the apex of that. And I'll have to say I was not okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was probably the first time in my life where I like mentally like realized like I was not okay. And that had more to do with, you know, like I've always grown up you know, seeing, you know, racism and seeing microaggressions towards me and to other people. But with Black Lives Matter, it was like, just there all the time. It was like, you know, people were recording it more. And I could see that like every day, people were dying, you know, because of racism, microaggressions, macroaggressions. So just like seeing it all the time and not being able to turn it off was really hard. And then also, I'm for a lot of people, like their only black friend and so people are reaching out to me asking how they can be allies and asking me to help them figure out what they can or need to be figuring out themselves. Well, and yeah, so I'm having a job. huge like mental overload of trying to be okay as like a black person, as a black woman, but also taking on other people's like stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. And that's absolutely not your responsibility or your job. Like, I, as much as I'm an ally and I appreciate other allies trying to be like, okay, how can I help? Like, y'all need to do the research and figure it the fuck out. It's not, you know, our, it's not a person of color's responsibility to come to you and say, this is what you need to do and this is what you need to know. Like, this is their fucking life. Like, the, it's, yeah. not, it's not your job to do that. Um, so I'm sorry that was such a difficult time for you, but I know that you, as much as it was a difficult time from the outside perspective, I saw how much work you were doing and the volunteering you were doing and you put together some like snacks or lunches, I think it was for the protesters. Yeah. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about what you had done, um, in terms of volunteering to like support the movement? Yeah. So, um, I think this was probably like end of May or beginning of June, around there, uh, Baltimore had a lot of demonstrations and protests. And this was kind of a few months after quarantine. So COVID was still like huge. And me being a public health major, <laughs> um, I was just thinking like, wow, like this is gonna be a huge like public health crisis. Um, a whole bunch of people like in the streets, like next to each other. Um, it's hot in Baltimore, it's the summer. Do they have water? Do they have food? Like, are they? Do it like is there something I can do to make sure the people who are demonstrating and protesting can do it for as long as they need to do it, um, as efficiently as they can do it and like being healthy. Yeah. So um I started I had money, I had some a little bit of extra money, and I started create creating um like care packages. So included like snacks, water, um, I had like hand sanitizer in there, masks in there like other first aid um, items. And I also started um, posting on my Instagram to ask for donations because I 
I did maybe like a hundred bags and I was like, I can do more. So I started asking for donations and pretty much every day I was filling like a hundred to 200 bags, like every night. Wow. And I was contacting people to, um, who were organizing demonstrations and I'd be like, Hey, like I hear you have one. Can I drop some stuff off? I can drop like 50 bags to you or a hundred bags to you. I can also drop off. Um, I would get coolers. I'd buy like, I had so many coolers in my house. <laughs> Um, and every morning I would drive to Sam's club and get like huge, like 20 pound, like bags of ice. Wow. And I'd fill up the cooler, fill it with Gatorade and water. And I would just uh, drive wherever in Baltimore, Frederick, Columbia to, um, you know, give them the stuff. I would make sandwiches. So all the, the packages were like, I would drop off before the protest. Um, so usually sometimes the night before, like right before, and then as they were walking, I would set up a station, like a water station, and hand out the water bottles. And then at the end, I would meet them and hand out sandwiches. <laughs> and I did that, like, every day for, like, a month. That is amazing. And in case you haven't heard it already or heard it enough, thank you for doing that. Because I think this movement is so important and was so necessary and so needed, but it came at such an inconvenient time because we yeah. were experiencing a global health crisis. Yeah. So you going out of your way to get hand sanitizer and water and masks and make sure that, you know, we're not shaming people and stopping them from doing this. We're just making mm -hmm. sure that they're doing it in a safe and manageable way. So that way we don't have another COVID outbreak. That's so yeah. important. And I think there were a lot of people that instead of finding a way to support it in a healthy manner, just discouraged it altogether because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was the answer. Yeah. And I, for me, like I'm definitely like a caregiver. And so that was like how I could contribute what I wanted to. I didn't like, I was also, you know, marching and I was there, but I thought I could make a bigger impact by helping hundreds of people protest and do what they wanted to do like with their freedom of speech and make a difference and so that's how I helped other people I love that and being in the protest and kind of in with all those people and you know getting your voices heard how did that feel for you in the moment um it is like surreal I I think what really like gets me like really I really appreciate it when I see like allies and I'm like, you don't have, like, it just gets me. So I'm like, you don't have to be here. You don't have to do this. And I really appreciate that you see that there's an issue and you are using your voice and, you know, your privilege to make space for the people who need it at this moment. And, um, yeah, like this happened a few years ago in Baltimore as well when I was a sophomore in college. And I remember the protests there too. We had curfew and you know just seeing it happen again in baltimore come together again and like even just all over the country like watching in the news um it's just amazing just that like what people can do when they come together absolutely and i know when the black lives matter movement first started it was back after freddie gray and mm -hmm. it was i think that was like what 2015 um yeah i know the movement was it was much smaller then. We didn't see the same turnout we were seeing in the pandemic. And to me, watching that growth in the support of that movement was just so beautiful. Because um, there was such a difference in the amount of people that were going out and walking and marching and having their voices heard back in 2015 versus 2020. Mm -hmm. So just that five-year time difference, you know, we see a huge growth, but it's it's still not enough. 
it's yeah. still, it's not the end. Just like I've been saying about, you know, mental health, we've made a lot of progress, but we are not done. And it's, yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done. Absolutely. And I think that is a great opportunity for me to take it to the next question that I have for you. So we are aware and we've noticed that there is an inexcusable lack of diversity and representation <laughs> in the wellness industry. From your perspective, why do you think that is? And what do you think we can be doing to change that? Um, I believe it's from systemic racism in our healthcare system um, and also just historic like trust issues minorities have in the healthcare system. Um, I can definitely pinpoint that happening in Baltimore. That's where I've done a lot of my work when I studied public health was the health disparities in Baltimore City. And yeah, so I think that's kind of where it happens. And since it's so historic and it's so ingrained in our system, it's just something that we need to always take into account to remember and to like be very active in fighting against. Um, you know, things that we can do, sorry, <laughs> things that we can do to like fight against it is to um, advocate for adequate healthcare for all, um, have minorities take up space in healthcare systems, not only as patients, but as healthcare providers. And one thing I used to do um, a few years ago, my old job, our focus was supporting Baltimore City high schoolers who were interested in healthcare and were underrepresented. And, you know, um, fostering them up to become healthcare providers in like five to 10 years and to come back to Baltimore and fill in those gaps and um, like defeat this inequity within the healthcare system. Wow, that, I mean, that's amazing. Um, it, would you mind, like, is there a program or something that you feel comfortable referring people? Maybe not necessarily, it might not be a nationwide thing, but at least in the Baltimore area, like if that's something they're interested in, is are there any resources or any programs you would advocate for or recommend? Yeah, so I used to work for a nonprofit organization called Merit Health Leadership Academy, and their website is meritbaltimore.com. Dot org, sorry. Dot org. Dot org. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah, I love that because I definitely think when it comes to having, you know, these types of conversations, I, I love having them in general, but I always try to take it a step further and see if there are any specific like things we can recommend of like, hey, I'm glad you're listening to this and I'm glad you might be taking something from it, but let's take it to the <laughs> next step. Here's something you can do um, to better yourself or, you know, help incite some change. So I love that. Um, what advice do you have for a person of color that might be struggling with their mental health and they don't necessarily know how to reach out and maybe it's not something that's been really accepted in their heritage and in their, you know, in their life so far? Um, my advice is go to therapy. <laughs> talk about it. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to not be okay and to recognize that. You don't have to bottle it in. Talk about it, let it out, and go to therapy. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think therapy is the absolute best thing you can do for yourself. Um, and I always get met with the challenging perspective of, well, I don't have the time and I don't have the money. And for whatever reason, the people that seem to say that are the people that absolutely have the time and absolutely <laughs> have the money. They just choose to spend it on other things. And my message for anybody thinking or feeling that way, if you truly don't have the resources, if you genuinely cannot afford a monthly you know, payment in terms of going to therapy, 
we get that. There are also programs that I'm happy to help get you, you know, spun up with that will pay for your therapy 100%. You will not have to pay anything out of pocket. Um, my therapist is also a person of color and him and I have had extensive conversations about putting together resources for other people of color to help them get free therapy. Um, so I'm working with him on, you know, gathering a list of what those resources might be. But um, I, my argument for anybody that tries to say that they don't have the time or money is like, if you're investing in anything, you should be investing in yourself. And the best way to invest in yourself is to find the time and find the resources and get the therapy and counseling that you need because you will not grow as a human being until you face all of the shit that you went through growing yeah. up. <laughs> And now you can do it virtually, too, so you don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> exactly. And honestly, that made it so much easier for me, too. Being able to just, like, after work, like, hop on a Zoom call with my therapist and knock it out in an hour and not have to sit in a waiting room or in traffic. Yes. I love that. I love yes. that. And I, and I will say that it's okay to, like, therapist hop and shop. Um, find the one that works for you. But you need to also remember, like, as much as you should have a good relationship with your therapist, they are not your best friend. They are a professional, so find, you know, there's, you can have a bad therapist for you in different ways, but I think one of the ways is them being like your best friend and that's, you should have a therapist who's your best friend. Yeah, I, I agree. I have, um, I don't know about you, but I have been through several therapists as well as psychiatrists and I've had a different experience with everyone. Um, and I do agree with you. I, I will say in the past, I had felt like I would be more comfortable with a female therapist just mm -hmm. because of some of my experiences in life and some of the things that I choose to discuss in therapy. I felt like a woman might understand a little bit more. Um, but now after being with my therapist, Jamal, for, I don't know, almost 18 months at this point, year and a half, I think that having someone with a different perspective helps mm -hmm. me so much more than being in a room with a female therapist that's like, oh, I totally get it. And I totally yeah. feel you there. Because like, it's nice to feel comforted and heard and supported, but it's also nice when Jamal can be like, okay, hey, I you feel what you're saying. Exactly. Like, so I agree with what you're saying. Date around a little bit. If you have a therapy session and you're like, yeah, I didn't totally love them. I mean, give it a couple tries, give it a couple sessions. Yeah. But if after three or four sessions, you're not vibing with them, find another one. There are hundreds of thousands of therapists there are and it's okay they understand that so you don't have to feel bad for like being like I think this is our last session I'm gonna try to find someone else yeah absolutely and oftentimes if you do that they will have other resources to recommend to you that's kind mm -hmm. of part of their job um, they're not supposed to get upset and offended if you choose to not work with them um, it's an opportunity for you to say hey this was great but I'm actually looking for support in these ways and if you have any suggestions of where I could find that support, I would love to hear it. Um, and I've done that to therapists in the past. I've been like, hey, this was great, but I'm really looking for this, this, and this out of my counseling and therapy, and I'm not getting that here. Um, so I love that. I think that's great advice. Um, we have kind of gone through everything I had to ask you, but I'd love to just give you the floor if there's anything that you feel like you want to just like say and have the people hear, whether it comes, you know, I feel like I caught you off guard, whether it has to do with your upbringing or being a person of color or mental health or whatever it is. It's all you, babe. Yeah. So I just want to say that, especially for me being black and just like the way I was brought up and everything. I just feel that black people have such unique experiences as 
a group and also as individuals. So it's never like one size fits all. Everyone's like family unit background culture is very different. Um, so people need to recognize that, um, like there's not always like a one size fits all kind of solution or to, cause there's not a one, like there's not one problem. Um, so just like being understanding of people's circumstances is always appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. I think in general in life, that's just a good way to go about things. Mm -hmm. Uh, just assume that you have no fucking clue what's going on in anybody's at home life or whatever, and just be respectful. But I do agree. I think a lot of times, unfortunately, um, with groups of, you know, I don't want to say minorities even because you guys aren't a minority. You make up a good majority of this country. But uh, for people of color, I feel like a lot of times you guys are marginalized and kind of grouped together and looked at as one cohesive unit. And you are not. You are all separate human beings with your own experiences and your own lives. And you deserve to be viewed that way. Um, so I, I love that. This has been a great conversation. We covered a lot in a very like short period of time. Yeah, I feel like we did. <laughs> I feel like we kind of flew through that. So I hope we got everything said that we wanted to say. But I know that we are going to have you on another episode to talk about some pageant stuff with me because that is actually, Ooh, stuff. <laughs> I know that's how you and I actually know each other. So I think we will leave it here for this episode and then we'll catch you on another episode to pick up and talk about some pageant stuff. All right. Sounds good.